Good morning, Boker Tov. Help yourselves to coffee. We continue our study and our learning and our chizuk and our reinforcement of our emuna, growing in our faith and reliance and dependence and gratitude to Hashem to feel His presence in our life. We are continuing the uh, same piece. Hopefully, we'll finish it today. That one lives through their emuna. Only with emuna are we alive. A life without emuna, a life where we think we are the center of the universe, a life where we think we are in control and we are in charge. A life in which we think the opposite, we are the subject or object of randomness or chance, is uh, to be dead even while alive. The only way to truly be living is to be the to have a sense of faith that carries us, that supports us, that guides us, and that directs us. So we last left off last week, and Revolba talked about uh, from where do we derive this strength, this energy? How can we on a daily basis, when we're not sure about what to do and where to go and how to find the courage and the strength to know that everything is for a reason that Hashem is with us. So he said, <laughs> The Jewish people, we are characterized as we are believers, the children of believers. Could we be here and would we be here after 2,000 years of exile, persecution, expulsion, extermination, pogroms, would we be here and could we be here if we were not people of faith? We would have given up, we would have walked away a long time ago. The fact that we're stubbornly still here is only because of the strength of our amuna. It is our strength. I mentioned yesterday in the Parsha class, at the end of the Parsha, we have the story of Miriam, who was punished for the way she spoke about her brother. She's placed outside the camp, and the Jewish people wait. They don't go anywhere. They wait. And the Medrash says, why do they wait? In the merit that she waited when she put her brother Moshe in the basket. She didn't go home. She didn't walk away. She didn't give up. She waited and she watched because of the sense of optimism and hope, with a sense of faith, she knew with confidence that there was a master plan, that there was a reason that it would come together. And the merit of her waiting, the Jewish people waited for her. And the fact that she waited and then we waited implanted within us that capacity to wait. The Jewish people have waited patiently. For 2,000 years, we waited patiently to come back to our homeland. We continue to wait for Mashiach. We wait for anti-Semitism to end and to disappear. We have that capacity. Where do we get the strength to wait? It's not just that we have more patience than anyone else. Jews are very impatient. So where do we have the strength to wait? The answer is the waiting is inspired by faith. If you have confidence and optimism and hope and you have faith in a bright future, then you're willing to wait for it. You believe in it. Then you can wait for it. We are ma'aminim b'nei ma'aminim. It is embedded in our very DNA. It's embedded in our character. And when we falter, and when we fail, and when we stumble, and when we're worried we're going to fall, is when we need to tap into that DNA to remember that we are ma'aminim b'nei ma'aminim. We have that ability. Not to sit and to analyze philosophically, not to start to provide all the proofs and evidence for God's existence, and all the evidence uh, for why we should believe. Not intellectually. But it means emotionally. We remember that we are ma'aminim b'nei ma'aminim. We think about our parents and our grandparents and our ancestors who went through infinitely worse than whatever it is that we're going through, not to minimize what some people are going through. But they went through that times six million, for example, and yet many preserved their faith. We are ma'aminim b'nei ma'aminim. Last week there was a wedding in Israel, I just saw the article yesterday, of uh, a young woman whose parents were murdered by terrorists and a young man whose parents were murdered by terrorists from two neighboring areas in Israel. Um, one was on Pesach morning. They came into their, into their uh, yeshuv and killed the parents in the home. The other two horrific terror events. And the children, two orphans, 
of victims of terror got married. And there was a video of this magnificent chuppah and singing, you know, Od Yishama, Biare Yehuda, V'chutos Yushalayim. So what is Od Yishama? Od Yishama. We will yet again hear. For 2,000 years we sang Od Yishama. We will hear. Is there a greater patience? Is there more waiting? Is there a greater expression of faith? Od Yishama. We will hear. So they're singing and dancing and bopping and celebrating and joyous. And there's no parents. They're orphans. They both, what they have in common, in fact, that's how they met. They met through the one family fund that runs events for victim family, victims of terror. That's where they met as young teenagers. They've stayed together. And now, and they got married last week. A beautiful video. Ma'aminim b'nei ma'aminim. Where do they draw that strength? How do they have that strength? We draw strength from them. They're half our age. We draw strength from them. They draw strength from the people that comes before them. We are ma'aminim b'nei ma'aminim. We have the capacity to wait. And we have the capacity to wait with faith and to sing Od Yishama Biare Yehuda that we will once again yet hear. And we're meriting to see and to hear it in our time. And there are, there are stumbles along that way, but the trajectory of the path of the Jewish people is extraordinary. Okay, we're in the second full paragraph on page Ayin Gimel. If anyone else wants, there are more clear sheets here. Hagon Rav Chaim Zatzal. So Rav Chaim in his Ruach HaChaim, Mavar Shamal Shehisig Avram Avinu Kishamed Basar Nesionos Nebchuleteva Shel Am Yisrael. Rav Chaim says, when Avram Avinu confronted and passed 10 tests, 10 tests, I mean 10 real tests, not... The plane was delayed, he was stuck at the red light, the person yelled at him, they ran out of the, the sale, they ran out of the challahs at the supermarket. I don't mean 10 tests, like we go through tests that we like, the internet was slow, the AC wasn't working, the like, these are our 10 tests. I don't mean that. Avram Avina went through 10 tests, being thrown in the fiery furnace, being asked to kill his own son. I'm talking 10 tests. And Chaim Velazhina says, the purpose of the goal or the result of going through those 10 tests was that he embedded and imbued within us, in our DNA. He made it the Teva of Am Yisrael. We have certain genetic things that we pass on. And I, I, this is a joke, but it's true, right? I can't speak to Svartim, but Ashkenazim have a long list of genetic diseases. A long list of Ashkenazi genetic diseases, most of which revolve around the bowel. So, but uh, apply to other areas as well. So what does that mean? I'm Ashkenazi? So, like, if I daven at a certain minion, I'm predisposed to certain diseases. Got to do Dor Yisharim or take your blood test before you get married. Make sure you're not both carriers of these Ashkenazi diseases. That's our great privilege is that we have designated diseases, Ashkenazi diseases. So the answer is that, yeah, we've, we have a strong DNA. We only marry, we're supposed to marry, not Ashkenazim, but supposed to Sephardim, but Jews marry among ourselves. So we have a DNA which remains intact. And says Rechaim Velazhner, which true physically, that we have a physical DNA, is true metaphysically, that we have a spiritual DNA, we have an emotional DNA. And just like the doctor may ask you about certain illnesses in the history of your family, or want to know if you're Ashkenazi descent, or want to run several tests, because if you are of Ashkenazi descent, it means you're predisposed to have certain diseases. It also means if you're of Jewish descent, are you from Avram Avinu? Yeah? Great, that means that you have, you're predisposed not to a genetic disease, but to a genetic health, that you are ma'aminim b'nei ma'aminim. Ben malos elu nimtes ha'amunah v'afi avr b'yerusha midor l'dor v'haf chaliyos tevis eitzel ko yehudi v'yehudi. Among the malos, among the wonderful attributes and character traits, among the assets that we have is emuna. We have that capacity to tap into faith, even in hard times. It has been transferred from generation to generation to the point that it became naturally implanted in us. Emunachaya hi yisod kol Torah. 
A living emuna is the core of all Torah. Bacha bakuk ve'emidan al-achash nemar ve'tzadik be'emunah so yichya. The Gemara Makos quotes the prophet Chabakuk who said, Tzadik be'emunah so yichya. To be a righteous person who's alive. What does it mean to be living? Be'emunah so yichya. The name of the Sefer. To be a Tzadik. A Tzadik is one who be'emunah so yichya. Meaning, the tzaddik is the person who, as they go through life and everything in life, they say, this business deal, this thing that happened, this fender bender that's going to cost me X, Y, or Z, this frustration, everything is from Hashem. They live, it informs and inspires the whole life, her whole life. Everything that happens is, this is for a reason. Is it frustrating? Yes. Is it upsetting? Is it sometimes deeply painful and sad? Yes. Is it sometimes joyous and incredible and amazing and fantastic? There too, you have to remember, oh, this gift that I can go on vacation and where I'm going and how things are working out and the gifts that I have of the nachas I'm getting from my family, from my children, that's also the tzaddik finds life, lives life. All of life is animated, is informed by a sense of emuna. It's not that emuna is in the shul or emuna is at the Tehillim group. Amuna is in my Amuna Dvar Torah I listen to or I subscribe to. Amuna is everywhere and everything I do. Everywhere and everything I do. And you see it, the people who don't have Amuna, often, they're not Yechya. What kind of life is that? There's, there's deeply anxious and depressed and worried and angry and envious. And I don't mean, I say this every time we give these examples, I don't mean clinically. Somebody who clinically has challenges in these areas, it's not their fault. There's all kinds of reasons. They need to address it. They need to heal it and solve it. But I mean, the other genetic disease that we all Ashkenazi Jews have towards being anxious and envious and angry and all those other things, not at the clinical level, but just the being alive and Jewish level. So what kind of life? You forfeit your life. If you're envious of what everyone else has, you spend your life looking at what everyone else has, and you say, that's not fair. That's not right. They don't deserve it. I do. I want it, I need it, I should have it, I deserve it more than them. What kind of life do you have if you're not happy with what you have? What kind of life do you have if you get angry and lose your cool and you blow your top at your spouse, at your children, at your neighbor, at your friend, at your coworker? Because you think life revolves around you and a person didn't fall in line and do things the way exactly you wanted to and you get mad and furious and angry, you forfeited your own sanity, your own well-being, your own tranquility, your own serenity. So. If it's not be'emunaso, if you're not living with emuna, that this is the way it's meant to be, and this happened for a reason, and I need to challenge it and confront it, and I take my initiative to heal it, to repair it, to overcome it, but in the end of the day, I can't control it, it's the way it's meant to be. If you don't have that attitude, you forfeit your very life. You forfeit serenity, you forfeit tranquility, you forfeit peace of mind, you forfeit good health. High blood pressure and, and uh, heart disease and cholesterol and sugars and all of the anxiousness and envy and anger and rage, you forfeit physical health, mental health, spiritual health. So you're not alive. What kind of life is that? When the world revolves around you, everything has to happen the way you want. When you're so worried about what will be and you're living life on spilkus and you're living life on the edge of losing your cool, you're not living. You're not alive. So the only way to live, tzaddik, how do you live? When you live reinforcing and flexing that amuna muscle and saying, Whatever happens, it's for a reason. This is the way it's meant to be. Okay, we'll solve it. It's good. How do you get to that point where the amuna informs everything you do? You lend someone your car and you get a phone call that they had a fender bender. Good. So how do you react in that moment? 
you could, you could absolutely go crazy, yell and scream, and how could you, and what happened, and what's the matter with you? Or you say, okay, it's just money. I'll fix it. Everyone's okay? Nobody got hurt? Thank God. Thank God that's all it was. Emuna. If that weren't meant to be, it wouldn't have happened. If it happened, it was meant to be. That doesn't mean you don't hold people accountable. If you're the front car and your fender was bent, you hold the person who hit you accountable, collect their insurance, you make them pay for what they did to your car. I'm not suggesting that we become pushovers. I'm not suggesting that we become people that can be taken advantage of. It just means, not in the easy moment. You know, you got the phone call. Uh, yes, do you have these numbers on your lottery ticket? I'm calling to inform you you've won the lottery. Oh, thank God. It's not hard to be grateful to God in those moments. But Munaso Yechia is not in the getting the phone call that, oh, you know the medical test and you were worried that you had something and that was just going to let you know it's nothing. Oh, thank God. Baruch Hashem. That's easy. Tzadik Be'emunasu Yechia is when you get the phone call, there's been a fender bender. You get the phone call, God forbid, that says we got the results and they're not what we wanted. So how do you get to that level? So Revolba says, and he reinforces this in Ali Shor too, when you live with mindfulness and intention in doing mitzvos, then that is working on emuna all the time. We spent a lot of time this year on meya brachos, making 100 brachos a day. Yeah. Not 10 brachos a day, not 50 brachos a day. 100 brachos a day. So if you make 100 brachos, and with each bracha, I'm about to make a bracha on my cup of coffee over here. When you make that bracha and you say, Shakol everything came to be because I cash. Kaddish Baruch spoke and willed it and wants it. And whether it's the fact that the water molecules in this cup of coffee stick together and stay hot and have caffeine and keep me awake and all the good in this, and I'm thanking Hashem for the coffee and for the person who brought it and the person who sponsored it and the fact that it's still hot and the ambiance in which I can drink it. And I'm thanking Hashem for this whole thing. And then I take that experience with mindfulness, not the shahaka where I didn't think about it and I was talking to you and I don't remember making one of the hundred brachas a day, but if I, remember, if I take that level of mindfulness in the one bracha and now multiply that out times 100, what does the end of that day look like? When you're falling asleep and 100 times during the day you said, that everything Hashem is from you. The coffee bean and the farmer who harvested it, the person who packaged it, and the distributor who trucked it, and the store that carried it, and the one who ground it, and the person who cooked it and made it, and the one who put it into the box, and the one who transported it to the shul, and the one who sponsored it, and the fact that it has all the elements that it has that makes it so delicious, and makes me wake up, and the fact that it's hot, and it's comforting, and it's a warm beverage, and the ambiance, and the good feeling cup that I have, that I could, from which I could drink it, that I don't even have to bother washing it afterwards. There's a million, there's a million and one things to be grateful for, Within the, what? What did I miss? You said there's a hundred brachas right there. There are at least a hundred things to be grateful for within the one bracha. Now it'll be debilitating. You won't really have a very productive day if all hundred brachas you stop and have a half hour meditation for each bracha. I'm not suggesting that. It will not go very far in life. But you could have a thirty second meditation for each bracha. How about this? You could have a three second meditation for each bracha. A little bit, a little bit. We worked on in benching. Chain bechesed verachamim. God, you sustain the whole world with your goodness. The whole world, my whole world is sustained. It exists. And with the challenges we have, and some more severe than others, but there's still so much good, and there's still so much to be grateful for. And there's still, thank God, there's a foundation, and there's a support system, and there's medical knowledge and breakthrough, and there's the ability to bounce back. And one day blends to the next to the next where 
a month or a year or ten, you could look back and say, I survived that challenging situation. All of this is so worthy of brachos. So when a person does mitzvot, says Revolbi, with kavana, this whole thing, the tagline on my website, and what I'm trying to, I think, captures my teaching style or the message I want to get across, or how about this, the message I want to live myself, is towards a mindful and meaningful Jewish life. That's what all Torah and mitzvahs are, towards a mindful and meaningful Jewish life. A mindful and meaningful Jewish life. We're in a world that is trying to rob us of our mindfulness. And it's trying to get us to lead a mindless life. And that overflows into our Judaism, where it is a mindless and meaningless Jewish life. That's the tragedy of so many of our children going off to university and elsewhere and running away because what they saw, what they experienced, what they were taught was a mindless and meaningful -less, meaningless Jewish life. And our mission is to actually do the opposite, to teach a mindful and a meaningful Jewish life. Why are we doing what we're doing? And how does that enrich our life? How does it make our lives come alive? How does it make our life in living color and high definition? How do we achieve that? How do we do mitzvahs with mindfulness? A bracha. Excuse me one second. I have to make a bracha. It's unbelievable. Right? It's an amazing, amazing thing. I didn't just actually make the bracha. Amen. I was in Starbucks last week, and the table next to me were two women. They were clearly working. They had laptops open and notebooks open, and they were working. And I wasn't eavesdropping on their conversation, but... <laughs> but no, no, I wasn't eavesdropping. I was not eavesdropping on their conversation. The decibel level of their conversation went up when they stopped, joined hands, held hands, closed their eyes, and prayed on the work that they were doing together. And I took a picture of them. Maybe that's wrong. But I was so blown away because two observant Torah Jews would be embarrassed. I'm totally, utterly embarrassed, hesitant, reluctant in any public place. First of all, even in the shul. Two people were sitting in the shul having a meeting. Could you imagine they'd stop and say, oh, I don't have to hold hands, but let's daven. Let's ask Hashem to help us with this. We're not sure what to do next. What should be the strategy? What's our next move? Where do we go? Or we've now plotted out a strategy, but let's not leave without saying, Hashem, please bless this with success. Could you imagine? They'd be afraid. They'd be looked at as weirdos and wackos, right? Nobody would want to marry their children. Nobody would want to stand next to them near the Kiddush. Nobody would want to be. So these two people, these two women in Starbucks, they, I was going to go over and join them for their prayer. But I wasn't invited. It, it, uh, I was so blown away. I was so inspired. That's Be'emunah so Yichya. I'm in a meeting. I'm sitting in a Starbucks. We've just went through what we need to do to make this business a success. We stop and we say, Be'emunah Now we needed to have the blessing of Hashem. Now we need to have the blessing of Hashem. That's a whole other level. That's a level of mindfulness and meaningfulness in everything that you do. From the business you do, to you're about to start to work out, to you're about to put the potato kugel in the oven, to you're about to engage a difficult conversation, to you're about to say, Hashem, please help me find the right words. Hashem, please help this be a success. Hashem, thank you for the fact that that went better than I thought it would. Hashem, with mindfulness and with meaningless, with meaningfulness. Mitzvah Shabbos Osana Lamuna Bofa and Shabbos brings us to this level of Amuna in a very unique way. We describe Shabbos Mincha uh, in the Amida. We say Shabbos is Menuchas Emes Ve'emuna. Menuchas Emes Ve'emuna. Umimena Megiyam Liyakiru Banecha Viedu Kimitrahim Menuchasam Yam Menuchasam Yakdishu Eshrimacha. What is Menuchas Emes? It means a true rest. What's a true rest? Menuchas Emes. A true rest. You know, people say, last night I slept like a baby, up crying every hour. 
Like, uh, that is not a menuchas emes. That is not a menuchas emes. A menuchas emes means a true and a genuine and an authentic and a lasting rest. What does it mean, ve'emuna? A rest of emuna. I understand a menuchas emes. What is a menuchas emuna? And from there we get to yakiru v'anecha v'yedu, that if we do this, Hashem, your children will see and they will know that from you comes menucha. And through menucha, we can sanctify your name. Says Ravoba, you know what it means? It means it depends what your Shabbos looks like. We spoke about this yesterday also in the Parsha. The menorah had seven branches. And the six branches that the Imre Chaim, the vision that's said, face the middle branch. The middle branch is Shabbos. The six weekdays should all be about counting down to Shabbos. Do we count down for Shabbos to begin? Or do we spend all Shabbos counting down for it to end? What's our attitude towards Shabbos? So it says Revolba, if we come to Shabbos where there's Divrei Torah and there's Miros and there's time with our family and we're disconnected from technology and we're having meaningful conversations, the emunas, that is a menuchas emuna. It is a menucha which yields a greater sense of emuna. We walk away from that Shabbos with an injection, a boost of emuna, with an elevated level of emuna. That's what Shabbos does for us. I heard a shir, I heard a drasha, I sang zmiros, I spent time, I did achnasas orcha, my people at my table. I enjoyed great delicacies. In fact, I had a little lachayim. I drank a little bit of wine and my inhibitions fell away and I was able to really talk about deep, deep things. Menuchas emuna. It is a rest which yields a level of emuna if Shabbos is observed properly. Bikashi pam ma'ami aman gadol, shiyazbi limahus emahu amnos. He said, I once asked somebody, what, is, what does it mean? And he said, it is a perspective, a view of how you see the world. So, a, um, what's true about somebody who's an artisan or craftsman as an attitude towards the world is certainly true the person who lives with a sense of amuna. To live with amuna is an outlook in life. It's the glasses that we wear. Amuna are the glasses that we wear. Do we think, see things in sharp focus or are they blurry? Do we understand? Can we interpret? Do we see the reality or are they blurry? How do we get to this emuna? How do we put on those glasses so that we see everything in our life, the frustrating moments, the good moments, the happy moments, how do we get to that level of emuna that we put on those emuna glasses so that we can see and interpret and understand everything through that perspective? And the answer is Chazal told us how. We work on answering amen, and answering amen with kavana. Kach omrim Chazal. Omer shlakish kolona amen b'chukocho, poskun l'shari gan eden. Gemar Shabbos Kufiotes says, anyone who answers amen, with all their energy and all their strength, a true Amen. Amen. So the gates of Gan Eden are opened. My Amen. What is Amen? Amar Bichanina. The Gemara says Amen stands for Kel Melech Neeman. The word Amen is an acronym for Kel, God, Melech, he's the king, Neeman is trustworthy. In the word Amen itself, there are three allusions. Kel, Hakavanashu Bore Olam. The word Amen, you say a bracha and I say, Amen, Amen, brother, Amen, sister, Amen. What am I saying? Amen, the Aleph is Kale. There's a Borei Olam. There's a creator of the world. There's a source of all existence. There's someone in charge. 
Melech misyaches l'mam and arsinu shemogil Hashem is machuso al olam. He's not just a God who created the world and then moved on. He's Kael, but he's also Melech. He's my king. He's the king of the universe. I am his subject. I am his servant. I am here at his will. I serve at the pleasure of the king. And lastly, Neeman. I know Shashem Neeman sheyaviyas haMashiach vaGeula haAsida haKshur bekach. That God is trusted to bring Mashiach. He will bring the redemption. I have faith. I have optimism. I have hope. I'm positive. I'm confident about a brighter future. Optimists. Optimists. You know, it's, we joke that we as Jews are predisposed towards being a shtickle uh, negative and farbisana and difficult. But we are the eternal optimists. Like we talked about that Miriam waited and we waited for her and we've been waiting for 2,000 years. And od yeshama biare Yehuda. We are eternal optimists. We have survived only because we are eternal optimists. We are eternal optimists. What was the quote of the week in my newsletter last week from Winston Churchill? Optimists see an opportunity in every challenge. Pessimists see a challenge at every opportunity. Mm. Something like that. That was Winston Churchill. I ain't go back and look at last week's email newsletter. So what was that quote? It means you could live life in one of two ways. Either you come across a challenge and you say, you know what, this is an opportunity. Remember last week I read about the individual whose wife died very young after a short bout with cancer, leaving him with young children, who said a broken heart can either be your heart is in shards, it's in shattered in pieces, or a broken heart can open up your heart to discover new things. So there are things that break our heart, but how it breaks our heart and where and what we do next is up to us. So you could live life in two ways. Either you, in every opportunity, you're the pessimist, no, this is why it's going to go wrong. This is why it's never going to work out. This is why it's never going to happen. An opportunity is presented and you see all the negative possibilities. The pessimist sees why there's a challenge and why it's a crisis in the opportunity. The optimist is confronted with a crisis, a challenge, and says, what an opportunity. This broke my heart. I'm going to cry. I'm going to grieve. I'm going to mourn. It broke my heart. But there are opportunities to learn about myself. There are opportunities for the next chapter of my life. There are opportunities to still forge ahead who I'm going to become and what I'm going to contribute to this world. Are you an optimist or pessimist? I mentioned that one family fund. How many Jewish-founded organizations began out of tragedy, but the person took the tragedy and channeled it into healing this world and repairing the world and making an enormous difference? That's an optimist. An optimist sees the challenge, confronts the challenge, and sees the opportunity. The pessimist sees the opportunity and imagines all kinds of challenges. So, Kodesh Baruch Hu's Ne'eman. We have faith, we have optimism, we have hope. So these three themes are all included in that short word of three letters. Amen. So every time we answer Amen, which could be to Kaddish or Kedusha, Chazar, Sashatz, or it could be Amen to the people around us making a bracha out loud, what we're saying when we say Amen is Kel, He's the creator. There's a creator of the universe. Melech, he's the king. I serve at his pleasure. Ne'eman, I have hope and optimism and confidence that in his world things will yet be better. Things are for a reason. You know, in a Jewish court, when a person has to make an oath, one person swears, they say the Shavu, the other person answers Amen, and legally binding is the oath they answer Amen to. 
So just like it's transferred, it's legally binding when you answer Amen to someone else's oath, says the Maral, similarly, when you answer Amen to someone else's bracha, you have said that bracha. You are offering that recognition, that acknowledgement. You're saying, Kel melech ne'eman. So now we understand why the Gemara said, to answer Amen, bekol kocho, with all of our strength and vigor and energy. Most of all, answer Amen with mindfulness and meaning. Not an Amen where you muttered it and don't even remember saying it. Not the Amen that you don't even say because someone made a bracha, but you were too busy talking or texting or you don't even hear the Amen. But to stop and to say, Amen. Kel melech ne'eman. Amen. Bekol kocho. To say it. Now to answer Amen to someone's brachas presupposes that people are making brachas out loud, which is what we should all be doing. It could be in a business meeting. I guarantee in Starbucks, those two African-American women, if they were going to make brachas on coffee, would have not hesitated in the middle of their business meeting to say, excuse me one moment, I'm just going to make a blessing to express gratitude for this cup of coffee. I want you to give you my personal guarantee that you can do that with anyone at any time in any setting, and I promise you that the person will only be impressed and inspired and not the opposite. We're embarrassed or reticent or ashamed or apologetic or defensive or worried. We don't do it. We're worried to wear a yarmulke on our head, literally and figuratively. But it's the exact opposite. Our mission and our purpose here is to spread the name of Hashem. And if you're in a business meeting, you're at the gym, you're wherever, you're talking to someone next to the treadmill and you just took water from the water and you say, excuse me one second, I just want to say thank you for this cup of water. I'm so thirsty right now. What a, what a miracle for this cup of water. No one's going to look at you like you're crazy. They're going to say, that's amazing. Wow. That's extraordinary. That's incredible. What are you saying? What does that mean? Well, how do you say? What do you say? You say that every time you eat something? That's what I, they said. What? Every single time you eat something, you say something? Yeah, I do. But don't worry, I don't usually pay attention, so it's quick. You know, like, well, imagine the difference in the world we're going to make. So to be able to answer Amen B'Kokocho presupposes that the people are going to say Bracha out loud. And that's our mission. That's your homework for the summer. Right? The Rashbam said the word Ne'eman. This week's Parsha. Moshe is challenged when his siblings speak about him. And God testifies on Moshe's behalf and says, Whoa, you can't talk that way about my Moshe. He's the humblest of all people. In my whole home, he's Ne'eman. And the Rashbam said, What did the word Ne'eman mean? He is the most reliable and trustworthy, dependable, consistent. Don't you dare talk about him that way. What is Amen? It means ditto. It means I'm a card-carrying believer. Amen means I'm standing upright in my faith. The fact that I answer Amen to your bracha, Amen, Amen means I have just affirmed my membership in the club of believers. The Gemara Brachos goes even further and it says the person who answers Amen is greater than the one who made the Bracha. It's even greater to answer Amen than to make the Bracha. And the reason is when you make the Bracha, you're limited to just a Shahakol or whatever the words you said. But if you answer Amen, you're saying, Not one thing, but three. Imagine if you answered Amen 90 times a day. You want to open the gate to Gan Eden? You can see it from here. We studied a Volbi piece a couple of years ago. We've been doing this a long time. I think today is the 111th Amunah shir. That's uh, 111 weeks. We've been doing this for a long time. Please, God, will continue to do it. So we learned early on 
Rav Volbe interpreted, what did this mean? If you answer Amen Kokocho, we open the gate to Gan Eden. First of all, usually the promise when you do something right is you become a Ben Olam Haba. You become worthy of the world to come. Why are we saying Gan Eden here as opposed to the world to come, number one? Number two, what do you mean you open the gate? I don't want to open a gate and look in from the outside. I want to go there. So the reward for answering Amen is opening the gate. Don't open the gate. Let me in. I want to be in there on the inside. So Rav Volbe explained why Gan Eden, not Olam Haba. Here's the message. What was life like in Gan Eden? Life was Adam and Chava had everything. God's presence was undeniable. He spoke directly to them. They lived with him in the garden. They lived the most beautiful, amazing life where they had everything because they were living with him in the garden. We want to get back there. We want to live that type of life. You know how you do it? You answer Amen. When you answer Amen, when we live with Kel Melch Ne'eman, we can't go back there. You can't go back to the Garden of Eden where there is no pain in childbirth and you don't have to work for a living and so on and so forth. We can't go back there. But we can open the window. We can open the gate. We can see into it. We get a glimpse of what that life was like when we live it here. When we answer Amen B'Kokocho, when we sing out Kel Melch Ne'eman, he's a creator of the universe and he's my king. I serve at his pleasure. And Ne'eman, I have hope and optimism and trust that all that he does is for a reason and for a purpose. And when I live life informed and inspired by those three themes and principles, then I have seen into Gan Eden. I got a glimpse of what that world was. I get to go back there a little bit. Still from the outside, I can't get on the inside, but I get to go back there. So that's our homework, to answer Amen B'Kokocho over the summer, to make brachas out loud so others can answer Amen. We are on break now till the end of July, our summer recess. But yeshikoach on another wonderful season. And Amir Tashem, our amunah should only grow. We should be tzaddikim, who be'emunah so yechia, that we truly find life through living with amunah.